keep in mind, if anybody that ever said that they loved me, uh, uh, I always thought that was the enemy because the only thing that love, love was love to me was neglect. It was abuse. It was being molested. It was being neglected. It was just it, that's what love was. So if anybody ever say, "Hey, Diego, I love you," like I thought of you as the enemy to me because that's what that's what I've always seen, you know. But then when he said, you know, that's the reason we really acted out in this house. Not just me, all the boys. So when he said, "I love you," we thought like, "Yeah, that's just." Everybody say that. This is the Foster Movement Podcast, helping you work with others to provide more than enough for kids and families in foster care where you live. Here are your hosts, Jason Weber and Diego Fuller. Hey, this is Jason Weber. Welcome to the Foster Movement Podcast. I'm here with Diego Fuller. Hey, what's up, Jason? How you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Diego? Man, I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. So, question for you. Uh, yes, sir. Are you a Are you a dog lover, Diego? I am. I love dogs. Don't have one, but I love dogs. So, why do you love dogs? <laughs> Uh, I don't have a reason. I just, I just, I just love dogs. <laughs> well, why, why you love dogs? <laughs> well, I, I love dogs for a lot of reasons, but uh-huh. I think to me, a dog is like uh, the embodiment in an animal of unconditional love. Mm, okay, right? Because they're they always are there. Like right. you, you leave them for like eight, ten hours right. during the day. You come home and you you fill their bowl with dried they're wagging their tail. Yeah, they're wagging their tail. Love they're so see. happy to That's see true. you. That's and then true. you fill their bowl with like dried horse meat <laughs> and you give them that for dinner. And they still love you. They still love you, no matter what you do. No to matter them. what you they do. Still love you. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about um, the power. Of unconditional love, not the wow. unconditional love of dogs, but the unconditional right, right. love of of parents, right? And, most definitely, um, and how that passes on right. through the generations. And uh, you know, our listeners are in for a special treat today because uh, our interview uh, is going to be with with Diego. Oh, praise the Lord! <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're excited about <clears throat> that. Now, one of the things uh, Diego knew that he would be doing the interview today, but yeah. one of the things he did not know that I'm kind of springing on him right here along with you all is uh, we uh, got some footage of Diego and his pops, uh, Bishop Aaron Blake. Now, Aaron and Mary Blake, they opened their home to Diego and five other teenage boys. Right and engrafted them in uh, to their family. And uh, about 18 months ago or so, Mm -hmm. uh, we got a little bit of interview footage with both you and uh, your pops uh, talking about a particular story. And so right now what we're going to do is uh, we're going to, Diego is going to see this video of this footage put together, which he's never seen before today. (laughs) And uh, we're going to talk about it. And you, our listeners, will get to hear uh, this video as well. Wow. He just basically told us that he loved us. And there's nothing that can separate his love from us. That we are grafted in. We are his boys to the end, no matter what it is. Yeah. 
we were in San Antonio, Texas, and uh, I called Diego a couple of days earlier, and I said, Diego, uh, we're in San Antonio, we're meeting with a group of pastors, a uh, number of pastors are going to be there, CPS is going to be there, case workers, case managers, agency is going to be there, and um, uh, see if you and Melvin can come and be uh, with me. And uh, he said, sure. And so uh, he was letting me know everybody that was going to be there. And uh, and so basically we supposed to just inspire them to take on fostering and adoption. Mary and I are sitting on the front row and uh, we're smiling at him because we know he's going to sing and he's going to do his thing. And um, and he said, before I, I perform, before I, I, I do my rap, uh, I got to tell you something, guys. I remember that it was a drop in the audience when I was like, yeah, we was bad. We we, we stole, we had uh, we had females in the house. I hate to say they had females in the house. We stole cars. And so we even snuck out the house um, at night. And then I remember going into the part where I told them, I said, man, and also, man, we burned the house down. And I remember the whole church was like, oh. and, and um, I remember I got a look from mama. She was like, oh, I know you just did say that. I said, oh, Lord, how in the world are we going to recruit foster and adoptive churches and families and he's telling them we're burning the house down we burnt the house down but when he went on with the story i heard something that i never heard before we yeah uh, we burnt the house down and uh, the house was burning down and uh, i remember he sent us to we, we stayed uh, about a block from uh, from the church and he sent us to to the church say y'all go stand to church to you know to get the fire and stuff put out and then of course we was already talking yeah this is our last day here you know we're gonna be gone in the morning or whatever but instead of him coming and say hey well y'all guys gonna be gone he um uh he came to us and uh he came to us walmart was open and uh, he took us to walmart you know just to get some clothes the only store open around two or three in the morning took us to walmart to get some clothes and uh, you know, sent it to school the next day. <sighs> Tried to choke up. And sent it to school the next day. And uh, I mean, we stayed at football practice, just practicing and then working out because we didn't want to come home. And then they, he said to the crowd that was there, he said, we burnt our house down. We have been moved for less things than that. We have been moved for eating the wrong stuff out of the refrigerator at the wrong time. And we were sent away. We've been moved because we didn't come home at a right time and we were sent away. Or we didn't say something right and we were sent away. We lived in a different part of the house than the other part of the family. And when we went over to this other part of the house, we were moved. And then we burnt the house down and we were going to stay. He said we couldn't even understand that or compute that. We for sure thought, hey, we was gone. And of course, um, uh, the other guys, they've been to more different homes than I have. So they, they know how the system works. So they was just like, yeah, this is our last day here. We're going to be gone. And of course, that was just feeding, feeding me. I'm just like, man, well, it's going to be our last day here. Might, not, might as well not go home right now. And so we went home. And instead of him uh, uh, screaming at us, fussing at us about uh, uh, everything, you know, he just we, uh, he showed us where we was going to be living at. What have God taught me about his character, his character? Through my, through my pops. Uh, man, God has, he's taught me so much. He's taught me how to walk as a man. He's taught me how to, how to speak as a man. Taught me how to be a man, how to treat my, my, my family, how to take care of my family. Uh, just how I should treat others, how to serve, you know, through his character. Um, a lot of times he don't tell us, pops, he don't tell us how to do, how to do things. He show us. He, he barely say, I love you, boy. I love you, son. He barely say it. But it's his actions that show it. We wanted them to know when they walked through the door that they was no longer, no longer in foster care. That's right. 
and that they were now engrafted. And I had to explain to him about engrafted. I said, you take a plant and you cut into it, mm -hmm. and everything from that root system comes up to another plant that you put uh, in there, and everything that comes up from that root system goes to nourish that plant. All right. You don't look like us. You, you didn't come from the same DNA mm -hmm. of us, but you engrafted. Right. I didn't think they got it. And they got it. They got it. <laughs> they got it. So, Diego, that's obviously the first time you've seen all that footage yes. uh, put together. I don't even know if you saw uh, Pops do the, his part of the interview no, I that day. Um, so, what's that make you think? Well, man, honestly, man, it, it almost made, made me tear up again just, just hearing it and seeing it and just, uh, just seeing the way, uh, just... I don't know. I just it, it makes me feel. I don't know. It was a. I don't know what to say right now. I'm like lost for words, like for real. And so it was a great. It was a great interview. Um, powerful. I don't know what to say. Hmm. Lost for words. You can um, see the emotion, and for those of you listening, uh, you'll be able to check out this video hmm. on the Foster Movement podcast wow. page, um, and you'll be able to share it uh, with with everybody uh, that you know. Right. But. Uh, you can see the emotion kind of welling up as you're sharing in that in that video, um, because what your pops had shown you at that time mm -hmm. was unconditional love. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And do you? Do you feel like you had seen that demonstrated? It was it was something that I've never seen. And uh, speaking for all the boys in the house, we, none of us we never seen. And for us to go, actually, man, burn this man's house down and do everything we did to our parents, and for them to still say, you know, we love y'all, y'all engrafted in, like, hey, this this not changing. This is where y'all at. We're gonna take care of you guys, and that's that's what changed our life because they didn't neglect us like everybody else did, and so. Uh, and man, it changed our life. And so, if you look at the life that we all living now, uh, man, we all doing great things, even in ministry or just in our careers, working. And uh, most of us didn't graduate. And so, um, and I just really believe, man, that this was it was meant for us to be there. If, if we wasn't, man, I don't know where where we'd be right now. And so, it changed all of our lives. I mean, we there's still some boys that's kind of messed up, but you know, but it it changed all of our lives. You talk about where you guys are now, where you are now. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about where things began for you? Like when you first uh, entered into foster care, what that initial transition was like? Right, right. Well, I know when I, when I first came in to the foster care system, and of course, I, I've shared this many a times, um, I was actually staying with my, with my grandmother. And um, well, actually, I was staying with my sister. And b before I went to stay with my grandmother, I was, you know, being molested by my sister. And my, and uh, but they, the state of Texas, they worked it out where I was able to go stay with my grandmother in the foster care system. And uh, just growing up without my dad, and my mom, uh, in my life, and uh, just really hurt. And uh, and I was really angry on the inside. And so um, I would always just act out, you know, in my grandmother's house. And so uh, and I came home one day, she had all my stuff packed, and she was just telling me that she couldn't handle me anymore. And so she drove to the CPS office, and she dropped me off on a, you know, on the side of the, 
on the side of the road on the, on the sidewalk, you know, standing to somebody, you know, I didn't know who he was, you know, and so and that that broke me uh, because the only person I thought that really loved me, you know, neglected me, and so yeah. How old were you at that point? I was just um, 14, 14 when she dropped me off. Wow. When she dropped me off, I was 14. And so, uh, yeah, that, that that broke me. And that made me more angry than anything. And I think that that neglect, her neglecting me uh, and then Pops not neglecting me, uh, my dad, I think that's, man, that that's what changed my life. Because that's all I experienced was neglect, neglect, neglect. And so uh, that changed my life. Hmm. So when you came into foster care at 14, mm-hmm. uh, were Pops and Mary, were they your first placement? Right. I actually went to two different shelters, or three different shelters. And my third shelter, um, emergency shelter, was at um, in Lomita, Texas, at the Williams home, uh, the Williams house. And so I stayed there for six, six or seven months um, before they found me a place to go. They couldn't find me a place to go. And so uh, I stayed there for a while, and then I got the call from my casework and said, hey, Bishop Blake actually wants you to come stay with them because they have your biological brother there and blah, blah, blah. And so that's when uh, I was dropped off at his house. And uh, that's when he told us um, what they heard in the interview. That's when he told us that, uh, hey, we are engrafted in, in, into his home, you know. And so, hey, we're not, we're not foster kids, so lose your foster care mentality. In here, I'm going to treat you like you're my own. I'm going to love you like you're my own. Uh, that's, when he shared that, that's when he shared that with us. And so uh, I tell a lot of people that it was actually it was on the steps when he shared that, but it was actually uh, right when I walked in the house, we sat down on the couch and he shared that part of it. But when I was coming up to the steps, he said, when you come here, I'm, I just want you to know I'm going to love you like you're my own son. And I was like, yes, sir. And then we actually, then we walked in the house. Then that's when the actual conversation took place inside the house. We sat on the couch before I put any bags up or anything. Uh, we sat on the couch and we had that, that conversation. And he told me I was engrafted. And so, then honestly, I was young and and uh, I didn't really know what that meant. And he broke it down just how he broke it down. And I was like, yeah, okay. You know, I'm just, I was happy to see my brother because, you know, I haven't seen him in a long time and happy to have somewhere to stay. And so, uh, mm-hmm. but living my life out, and uh, I see like what he meant by I was engrafted in. So everything belonged to him. It really belonged to me, you know. And I was like, wow. So yeah. So it took that experience of the house burning down, right, for you guys to get to believe what he said. he said. That's right. Mm. That's right. That's right. And I mean, keep in mind, if anybody that ever said that they loved me, uh, uh, I always thought that was the enemy because the only thing that love love was love to me was neglect. It was abuse. It was being molested. It was being neglected. It was just it, that's what love was. So if anybody ever say, "Hey, Diego, I love you," like I thought of you as the enemy to me because that's what that's what I've always seen, you know. But then when he said, you know, that's the reason we really acted out in this house. Not just me, all the boys. So when he said, I love you, we thought, like, yeah, that's just, everybody say that, you know? So did you feel that way because, did you feel like love was associated with those things because the people that told you they loved you Mm -hmm. did those things to you? Yes. Exactly why. That's exactly why. Wow. That's what what love was. At least that's what I took it in as. And so, uh, but, and then when he said, I love you, I'm just like, yeah, here we go again. And that's mm-hmm. that, that's that's the real reason why we really we acted out, and we was just really just we was bad, as Mama Blake say, we was bad, we was bad. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so um, yeah, and so but and then when they showed us the love, that unconditional love, that's what changed our hearts. And after the house burned down, man, everything we did, we tried to just honor him. Uh, uh, we tried to make it seem like he was the best dad ever, uh, the best pastor, everything. We I mean, we just respected everything he said. 
We didn't want to, um, we didn't want to mistreat them, mistreat Mama Blake. We didn't, we didn't want to, you know, because I was like, man, these people are really here for us. And everything that we was putting on them was because everybody else, we was taking out all our anger on them that, from what everybody else had done to us. Mm. So that switch flipped for you, but it also flipped for your brothers? Oh, yeah, most definitely. We was all, we was, I remember we had a conversation and we were just talking about how can we honor him, you know? And then I remember uh, it was my, it was my, it was my brother. Uh, my biological brother who said, "Man, let's just sit in front of that's just sit in the in front of the class when we go to class. I try to make good grades. I mean, we was all on the football team. We was making good mm. grades, and we was just like really trying to do everything we can just to not um, just 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 to honor him. You know, I mean, we didn't know what we could do, but we thought what we was doing was going to honor him. And so, um, and, I, and I believe it did. I mean, he even drove all of us to college, not sent us off to college. Like he drove, took each one of us to college. And so, uh, man, the, the dude is enough." Uh, amazing guy like that's that's like that's my dude love pops <laughs> and so it, it changed my life man to now I, i'm i'm being able to be a blessing to to other young men that's that's walking uh in the shoes that i once walked in now i think one of the things i think if your pops were here i think mm-hmm. he would be the first to say this too is uh this ability to love you guys in this way mm-hmm. um it's not a personality trait oh it's it comes from somewhere else, oh, yeah. and I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about where where did that come from from him? Like what enabled him to reflect that kind of love to you guys? Right, most definitely, and of course, man, it was the love of God. It was being a uh, living his life out as as Jesus would live his life out. Really, just um, I mean, I, I, I guess being a pastor, I guess that helped. I don't know, <laughs> but he was imitating the love of Jesus Christ. And uh, and that rubbed off. It rubbed off on us. And that's why, I man. Everywhere I go, man, I love I love everybody because I try to imitate the love that I seen him imitate. And that's the love of Jesus. And I try to I do my best to imitate that love, man. I'm a people's person. Anybody see me? I'm just I'm very loving. I'm very I'm very open. Uh, big personality. And I just um, just from what he showed me. And I believe I believe that's where I got my personality from. You know, I was a mean kid back then. <laughs> and so, uh, but yeah, this, this dude, man. Uh, Really saved my life by the lifestyle that he lived. You know, when you when you talk about that, what comes to mind is First John four nineteen. Mm-hmm. We love because he first loved us, mm-hmm. and we always think about that in the context of what it's. I mean, that's what is intended by mm-hmm. the scripture is that we love because God first loved us. Right. But that even your pops could could live a life of love, of unconditional love, mm-hmm. not just of of. Hugs and right, exactly. you know positive words, but of real action where right, it most definitely took sacrifice, right? Most definitely. And um, and you're sitting here saying that part of why you love now mm-hmm. is because he first loved uh, you, yes. and why he loved you wow. was because God first loved him. Wow, praise God! Yeah, that's right. Wow, that's so true. So, um, mm. so I want to. I want to go back for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about being uh, in the shelter, and I just mm-hmm. want you to give a picture. I think you know sometimes we have different ideas of what what does that mean, what does that right. look like. Was this a place where most of the youth there had committed some kind of offense or crime, mm-hmm. or is this a place where they were just holding kids in foster care until mm-hmm. they could find a permanent place? Like, what was that experience right. like? 
Well, the last shelter, it was a, uh, it was, it was a little bit of both. It was um, kids that done some crime, and also kids that was just um, looking for a home um, to go to. Uh, that they couldn't find a group home. They couldn't find, um, they they couldn't find nowhere for any any of those kids to go. So they would place us there until somebody um, would basically call and say, "Hey, we want these, uh, we want these kids," or until our caseworkers would find somewhere for us to go. And so, uh, and if they couldn't find nowhere, you just stay there until. Until they find somewhere for you to go, and so I'm assuming so, you're you're locked down. Oh, it, well, it's not like it's it's actually a, a house. Um, we went to school. It was a year round. It was a year round mm-hmm. school. Uh, it, it wasn't locked down. You can go outside, play basketball, uh, do different things. I mean, of course you can't you can't just leave the house, but right. of course you can go outside and do different things. So it wasn't like locked down, like um, like a juvenile. Um, center or whatever, right? And so it, yeah, you had some freedom, um, but you couldn't just go where you wanted to. Okay. And so, uh, but it was just it's, it's called a, a emergency shelter, and so uh, yeah, just keep you there until they find somewhere for you to go. Mm. Yeah, I mean, even even when when I got there, the only thing I was doing was just just trying to fight people. That's <laughs> how so I was just so angry on the inside, and I was hurt, and so I was I was always trying to just. Fight anybody, any of the boys that ever said anything, and so uh, and that's the that's the first time I ever thought about like just like this life is not worth it. I tried to um, tie something around my neck. I just, I really wanted to like just die. I was like I just, it was just too much on me, you know. And I was just, like I don't want to be here. None of my family loved me. They just left me. All of this, all you know, just so much stuff going on in my head. And I was just like, like why? I'm like I, I have I had and at that moment I felt like I had no reason to live. And so there's this guy that worked there. His name was Bill Spiller. And he actually, uh, every day he would tell me he loved me. And so when he told me that, it made me more mad because <laughs> every time I hear the word love, I'm just like, this is what love means to me. And so, but every day he would, he would tell me that. And so it never helped out. But, uh, and I understood he was just really just trying to keep me from hurting myself. And so mm-hmm. I used to, yeah, I just, I was out of there. So when, uh, for those listening, when they hear you talk about that word love being associated with all of these negative things mm-hmm. for you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what's, you know, what can somebody do? Like, what's the answer for that? Because the answer is not just to stop right, telling exactly. people that, that you love exactly. them, right? Um, so what is it that uh, a foster parent or an advocate or right. a CASA right. or a, a child welfare worker that's listening out there that might have a, a kid that's on their caseload that is mm-hmm. um, seems to react negatively to um, those kinds of affirming words, right. what is it that they can do? Yeah, so like you heard in the interview, it's not what was it's not what was said. It was actually what was what was done, and with the actions that, like I said, he only told me he loved me maybe once or twice the whole time I was with him, and maybe one hug or something. I don't know, but he never really hugged. He never said I love you. It was always, um, it was just showing with his actions, the way he lived, showing up at at the football games, it encouraged me at a at a football game, just 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 the little things, spending time with me. And so, and I think that once we had a good relationship, I was able to just kind of open up to him and just understand, like, this man is really here for me, you know. And so a lot of people don't, they don't want to sit there and have and build a relationship with their young man, young lady. And I think that's one, that's why we block them out. Like, I ain't got no relationship with you. I don't want nothing to do with you. But once you had that relationship, you showing up at, I'm telling you, just showing up at a football game, that's a lot. I used to be out there on a football field. And I used to look up in the stands to make sure he was there, you know. I mean, like, I, I, I hardly even knew him. I was only there a few months. But I still want him to be at the game. He was at every single football game, and that meant just that little thing. That that meant a lot to me, and so um, and that 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 helped me. 
to be able to trust him. He was there for me. I mean, little things. I mean, we go outside, even play football together, just throw the football. He tried to throw the football to all his boys with, with him being a counselor, being a pastor. He had a whole bunch on his on his plate, but he still made time for us. And uh, it wasn't just talking about, hey, I love you. It was actually just like really showing like, hey, I love you, like just showing it, you know. And so uh, and that's that helped us out. Why do you think it was, I mean, you're a teenage boy, right? So for some, for a lot of teenage boys, uh, you know, they're looking to the sidelines or to the the crowd and they're Mm -hmm. hoping that that, you know, one cute girl is looking at them, you know, (laughs) there. But but for you, uh, and I'm sure you cared about that there were some girls there too from time to time, time. right? right, right. (laughs) (laughs) But for you, why did you care so much that he was there? You know what? I don't know. I think it's because... That's the only father figure I had at that moment, you know, and I just and honestly, secretly, I wanted to um, I just kind of wanted to please him, you know, and I just wanted to see if he was pleased with the way I play football or pleased with different things. what, you know, and so I don't know if I was at that time just looking for that approval from 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 a father figure. Um, but I just know that being in his house, I just want him. To, I just want him to be happy for me. You know, I wanted to make him happy. I mean, I'm telling you, Jason, it was just it was just the little things. He never just did anything just so um, 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 insurmountable, something so big. It was just the little bitty things that he was he was just showing us. And I that built our trust and we started trusting him, even though we were still doing um, bad things, you know, in his house, you know. But af- after we seen like, man, this dude really loves us, man. It just Jason, man, it, it really changed our life. Like and I'm just like. Sometimes I feel like I owe my whole life to this dude, <laughs> you know, so it changed our life. Mm. Yeah. So when you think about um, your own parenting mm-hmm. uh, and what you want to invest in your kids, right. um, you know, how do you see yourself, you know, the, the unconditional love that God has shown mm-hmm. uh, you, uh, that he has shown you through Pops mm-hmm. and Mary, uh, how do you see yourself wanting to replicate that and right demonstrate that in your own kids lives right well uh, i don't mean to the uh to to beat my own horn my own horn but <laughs> i think i'm i think i'm a wonderful dad i think i'm a great dad and so uh, and my kids think i'm the, i'm the best dad in the world and um one thing man i try to do is really just to love on them and be there for them and uh, whatever they want to do, I try to support them with, with whatever they want to do. And so, uh, I, and I say I love you maybe 10, 15 times a day, yeah. you know, but uh, but I, I learned how to actually show it to them. It was hard showing it, but I really, I learned how to show their love to them and, uh, because of what my, my dad taught me. And I just make sure they know, hey, daddy love you no matter what. And so, uh, I don't try to be their best friend, but... I, I'm their best friend too. I don't. I don't like that term. I, I always say, man, you shouldn't be your kid's best friend. I'm that person to say that. But sometimes <laughs> I feel like, man, uh, a kid's best friend or a kid's best toy sometimes is their is their dad, you know, or their mom. And so, so I try to get out there and and play ball with them. And I, I just finished coaching my son's football team, you know, this year. And so, um, and and I, I just try to be there, show him I love him, you know, make sure I'm, I'm encouraging him, make sure I'm training him to be the, the best athlete he can be, and um, the girls, all of them. And so, uh, I just really try to show the love that was shown to me, and uh, and also on top of that, man, just make sure I show him the love of Jesus Christ. Yeah, so yeah, like, so good. I'm the best dad ever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt it, man. I don't doubt it. That's awesome. Well. Thanks so much for sharing your heart. I know our audience uh, appreciates that as well. You know, everyone loves hearing from you each uh, episode, but to right. dive a little deeper into uh, 
you know, what God has done in your life. Most definitely. Yes, sir. Is an amazing privilege. Thank you, Diego. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Well, I know uh, you all um, appreciated that as much as I did, just getting the chance to talk to, to you, Diego. Thank you so much. And I want to thank Bishop Aaron Blake for allowing us to interview him and use that uh, as well. Uh, you guys heard the song that goes along with that video. So a couple things. One, I want you to make sure and check out that video on the Foster Movement podcast page um, and uh, the music. Uh, the song Engrafted. That song is a as a song that you uh, wrote yes. and recorded. Yes, sir. Yes, uh, sir. Awesome song. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, that song you can get anywhere where you download music. Right. So uh, like and share uh, this episode on the Foster Movement podcast page, and you'll be entered for a chance to win a copy of the book Farmer Herman and the Flooding Barn. Now, this is a, a children's book that's a, about a true story in Nebraska where 344 people uh, worked together to move a barn. And this book was actually illustrated by 344 different people, kids, adoptive parents, foster parents, child welfare workers, recording artists, and authors all worked together to illustrate this book. And together we're trying to demonstrate the reality that together we can make a difference for kids in foster care. All right, so thank you guys so much for listening uh, to the Foster Movement Podcast. Um, To get today's show notes, just go to fostermovementpodcast.org. We're so grateful for everything you do to speak up for kids and families in foster care. We're here to help you do that until there's more than enough. This has been the Foster Movement Podcast. Join Jason Weber and Diego Fuller next time as they and their guests help you work with others to provide more than enough for kids and families in foster care where you live. Hey, this is Jason and Diego again. Yes, and we're still here because there's a couple of things that we want you guys to know. That's right. First of all, be sure to download the free PDF we created, especially for listeners of this podcast. It's called Key Things Former Foster Youth Want You to Understand About Caring for Current Foster Youth. This thing is beautiful and full of wisdom and insight from those who've been there. And I'm telling you, you need to print these babies out and give them to foster parents and applicants you work with because these things are amazing. Just go to morethanenoughtogether.org backslash free download. That's morethanenoughtogether.org backslash free download. Also, as you know, the Foster Movement Podcast is a limited series of just 18 episodes. But listen, it's okay. Don't be sad. Here's why. Because there's more where that came from. Tell them, Jay. That's right. More Than Enough has produced a whole family of podcasts, one of which is called the More Than Enough Podcast. So to learn more, go to morethanenoughtogether.org and click on the podcast link at the top of the homepage, and they are all there. Hey, and one last thing. Thank you for listening. It's a privilege to be a part of your journey. Our team is here to help you work with others in your community to provide for children and families before, during, and beyond foster care until there's more than enough.